Mission Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hey there. Welcome back to Historical Fiction Unpacked. This is episode 10 of season one. It's kind of a gray, dreary, rainy day as I record this. I spent the weekend with some great writing friends of mine, and we just bounced ideas off each other and spent time writing and brainstorming and hiking and all of that fun stuff. Fall is my favorite season, especially for getting outside and hiking and um, observing the gorgeous foliage. But today is a great day to be inside recording this for you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Today, we're going to hear a conversation I had with Jan Drexler. She is an award-winning author of historical fiction featuring Amish characters. It's really interesting to hear about how her heritage um, kind of plays into her writing, because the latest book I wrote incorporates my heritage as well. So I was curious to hear about how her Amish heritage comes out in what she writes, and we got to talk about that a little bit. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Jan. Jan Drexler, welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Your latest novel, Softly Blows the Bugle, released October 20th. So I understand it's the final installment in a series. Can you tell us about the series as a whole and about that book in particular? Yes, the, the series is, um, is an in, intriguing idea I had a few years ago. It takes place during the Civil War in Holmes County, Ohio, and the characters are Amish. And I wanted to explore how the Amish dealt with the war that was um, taking over the country's thoughts and processes. And so the um, series is called The Amish of Weaver's Creek. And in the first book, the main character is one of the brothers of the Weaver's Weaver family, and he joins the Union Army and um, becomes a soldier and then a medic. In the second book, the um, one of the sisters of the family is living in Weaver's Creek, and the um, Morgan's Raiders that uh, came through Ohio during that time, during the Civil War, uh, a band of them in my fictional book break off and go to Holmes County and encounter the Amish there. And then this third book is after the war is over and the brother from the first book, Jonas, is coming back to home. He's coming home and he's bringing a friend with him. The friend, however, was a Confederate soldier and was wounded in the war. And he's the hero of the story. His name is Aaron. And the one of the other sisters in the family, Elizabeth, is the heroine of the story. Mm. So... I was wondering when I was kind of looking over the series and, and looking at the book, starting to read the book, because I noticed that the one brother was coming back from the war. So um, did he have to, in order to be a soldier and then a medic, as a pacifist, like, did he have to leave the Amish faith or? Yeah, he was not a member of the church yet. 
And in the Amish church, that's a, that's a big thing is that um, before you're a member, you um, are free to do pretty much what you want. Although if you're like Jonas is intending to become a member, he, um, it was not a good thing for him to join the army. But when Ohio started conscription, the, in the story, um, Jonas's older brother was selected as one of the men who needed to go and fight. And there was no such thing as conscientious objectors or anything like that at that time. The Amish were given the option to pay money to, instead of going to war or to hire a substitute to go to war for them. And Jonas's brother refused to do either of those things. And he also refused to join the army so the next step would have been prison. And uh, Jonas, not wanting his brother to go to prison, stepped in for him and joined the army for him to keep his brother from enduring that process. Right. Now, can you tell us more about the other characters, too? I guess. Um, in the, the two main characters are Aaron and Elizabeth. There are there's a whole community of secondary characters. Um, Elizabeth's parents, uh, Abraham and Lydia Weaver, are the um, kind of the patriarch and matriarch of the entire series. Okay. And then um, there's uh, Katie, who is Jonas's fiance, and she and Elizabeth have been living together, sharing a home together while Jonas was gone and while Elizabeth's husband was at war, but then also, then he was killed in, 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 during the second book. She finds out that he has been killed. Other characters, uh, Levi Byler is one of my favorites. He was a, in the first book, he was, um, uh, he and Jonas both were in love with Katie and Katie chose Jonas So Levi was disappointed there. He also has some disappointments in the second book. And in the third book, he finally gets his happily ever after ending. And I was so happy for him when that worked out. Yeah, that's great. So you mentioned that, you know, you wanted to write about the Amish during the Civil War. What gave you the idea for this particular story? When I was doing my research, I was reading a book about the Amish and Mennonites during the Civil War. And there was a uh, young man in that book that was talked about in most of a chapter. He was a Mennonite man, but it was uh, the story was kind of told from his father's perspective of what it was like to have his son involved in the army during the mm-hmm. Civil War, and that made me think, uh, start thinking about a character who would be in that position of, of needing to go to war reluctantly and what that would be like for him. Yeah. So I love the time period where, in which you set this Mm -hmm. series. Me too. Yeah. My own novel, One Traveler was set at the beginning of the civil war. So I have a soft spot for that time. Um, It takes place at the, your book, soft, the newest one, the softly blows the bugle takes place at the end of the war. So what type of research did you have to do to learn about that period? In addition to researching the the entire war period, I also read some books and diaries 
and newspaper accounts of men who came back from the war. And there are other novels that, that deal with this, um, after the war, the soldiers after the war. Okay. And yeah. it's very similar to the soldiers coming back from, uh, being deployed in Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia or someplace like that. Right. They, when you've been through an experience like the soldiers have, coming home is a very difficult thing because you've changed, you've grown and changed, but also home has changed. You know, if the people didn't remain static while you were gone, you come home and, and things are different and you have to adjust to that and they have to adjust to you being different. Um, it's a growth thing for, for both parties, I think. And so dealing with, and then having the main character, Aaron, being a Confederate soldier, he lost everything in the war. He, he, he had grown up in a cabin in the hills in Tennessee, and both his father and his grandfather had been killed during the war. His mother had died when he was a young child, but the, um, he had also lost his home. The cabin had burned down during the conflict, and he had nothing to go back to. And he had also lost his, his leg, which made it, him a cripple. And at that time, it was very hard for somebody who was disabled to be able to support himself, let alone a family. Yeah. So I understand your heritage gives you a different kind of understanding of the Amish way of life. Can you explain how? Well, my great-great-grandfather back in the 1850s was... um, he left the Amish church at that time because he moved to an area where there were no Amish and joined the German Baptist Brethren Church. But before that, and I have other relatives who are Amish, and because my great-grandfather didn't move too far away from the Amish, a lot of the traditions and the doctrinal understandings of the church were also passed down to me. You know, things like... Um, the Amish don't pray out loud before their meals. They pray silently, and that's the way I was raised. Um, uh-huh. Just simple things like having a large garden, canning vegetables, um, quilting, making do with uh, scraps that are left behind so that you don't have to buy new stuff. It was just that kind of um, simple life was also part of my growing up. Right. And did you hear, did you have a lot of stories passed down to you about their growing up years? Yes. My, my grandmother probably should have been an author. She was a teacher and she um, was very interested in history. And she, I would stay with her for a week at a time when I was a child. And she Mm -hmm. would tell me about the Amish living around and how our relatives had been Amish she grew. She lived in um, northern Indiana, in the center of an Amish community. And so, when I went to visit her, you know, the horses and buggies were everywhere, and the Amish were in the grocery store with us, or you know, just everywhere around. And then my family and I, my husband and I, with our children, lived in that same town for seven years. And so, I experienced that same thing of being around the Amish, and I remembered my grandmother's stories about how our family had been Amish at one time. Yeah. So 
from between your research and the stories from your grandmother and then living around the Amish today, do you see any difference between um, Amish, the Amish long ago versus their culture today, or mm-hmm. is it pretty much the same? Oh, they've, the Amish change. They change more slowly than the rest of the world, but they do change. In fact, uh, when we lived in Northern Indiana 20 years ago, I got to know the Amish culture there. But now when I go back to visit, I can tell it's, it's quite different. They've, they've accepted cell phones. Many of the congregations have uh, uh, bicycles, 10 speed bicycles. Um, there are a lot more telephones. The telephones are not in the houses, but they're like little telephone booths by the road Mm -hmm. and businesses use electricity and, and so on. There's, there has been a lot of change just in the last 20 years. And that change is faster than it was, say, between the 1860s and the 1960s. But it's, um, I think the Amish do live quite a bit differently than they did in the 1860s. Right. Yeah, I guess like all of us have, um, you know, changed over the years for better or for worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So um, have you always wanted to be a writer? Can you tell us a little bit about your career and how you got started? Well, yes, I have always, I think I have always wanted to be a writer. There, you know, I, when I published my first book, my cousin told me, oh, I remember all those stories you made up and told us when we had sleepovers. And uh-huh. I, I didn't remember that, but I have made up stories in my mind as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. So when I went to college, I majored in English with a creative writing emphasis and concentrated more on poetry then. But Uh after I got married, my first priority was to raise our children and we homeschooled. Yeah. That was wonderful because I learned a lot more while I was homeschooling my children than I ever did in school. But when my youngest got to the age where they were going to be graduating from high school, I started wondering what I was going to do next. Um, Homeschooling has a, you have to retire at the end. There's (laughs) there's no question of it. You know, when your children outgrow school age, you're done. Right. And I thought about teaching, but my husband knew that I wanted to be a writer and he gave me my own computer so I didn't have to use a family computer and said, that's for your writing. So I started writing for publication in 2010, so 10 years ago this fall, and my first book was published in 2013. Wow. And Softly Blows the Bugle is number 13. It's wow. my 13th book. 13 books out. That's great. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got that first book contract for the, the one in 2013? Well, it was, it was fun because it was part of a, part of a contest that I was on a blog called Seekerville. And one of the editors from Love Inspired was on that blog and she was looking for people to publish And so I sent in my first, I think it was my synopsis, my first three chapters or something like that. And she was interested and wanted to read the rest and they offered me a contract. So I got, I got my first book published because of a contest. Wow. That's great. So always, always enter contests. Yeah. (laughs) 
That's wonderful. Um, and so I'm just doing the math. You've written um, 13 books or having 13 books released in seven years. Yes. That's like almost two books a year. Yes. That's a pretty heavy schedule, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but right now I don't have a contract pending. For the first time in my writing career, I'm able to kind of explore other things. Oh, that's nice. Yes, it is. It has been very nice. I've kind of uh, developed a few stories that are contemporary Amish stories. And I've also been working on a cozy mystery, which is a lot of fun. Does that have anything to do with the Amish or no? No, nothing to do with the Amish. It takes place in the Black Hills where I live in Western South Dakota. Okay. And then I'm also working on a historical fiction that is also not Amish. It takes place here in in the Black Hills in South Dakota in 1885 in a a little town south of the hills where cowboys are big. It was during the cattle times of the late 1800s. Wow. Um, And all your books up to this point have been about Amish, is that correct? Except for one. I wrote a an historical book for Love Inspired that takes place in Deadwood during the gold rush. Okay. So that one was that one was my first foray into Westerns, but um all the rest have been Amish, yes. Okay, cool. So all the, the Amish books and the, the Western and the books you're working on now or the you know, ideas you're dabbling with. Mm-hmm. What are you hoping readers will get out of your books, out of what you're writing? In all of my books, I try to extend the idea that there's a home that we all long for. Um, I write in inspirational fiction, and that home is heaven that we would eventually go to after we die. And there's a I like to for readers to have a longing for that home, not just homes here on earth, but home, our final destination, our home in heaven. Yeah, that's great. I noticed that when I went to your website, it said something about coming home. And I mm-hmm. thought that was such a great message um, and kind of the brand of your novels. I love that. Yes, yes. So I like to ask all the authors who come on the show, how do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? I love that question. One of the things that I did when I was homeschooling was we studied history through reading historical fiction. And there are some great books written for children and young adults on that are historical fiction. And there's, something about knowing that people have gone before you and experienced the same things you have. You know, they might not have experienced the coronavirus, but a hundred years ago, people were experiencing the Spanish flu. And several hundred years ago, it was the bubonic plague. You know, there, there are times in history where this, this has already happened. And, we can learn from their response to what has happened, whether it's illness or war or um, 
family dynamics or anything like that. We can, we can learn from how people handle those things in times past. Yeah, that's true. So to finish up, who is your favorite historical fiction author? Oh, I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> can you pick this one? Um, you don't, you don't have I, to just mention one. I, I really like Ken Follett and his mm-hmm. stories about the, the uh, cathedrals in England. Okay. I, wow. Yeah. I also love, um, completely different, but Mary Keneally writes, um, romantic comedy with cowboys. And her books, I always look forward to the next one. I have one sitting on my to-be-read pile, waiting. It's her newest mm-hmm. one. And uh, I, I love all kinds of historical fiction. So yeah. it, runs, it runs the gamut. Yeah, that's interesting because you the ones you mentioned are not similar to what you write so far. Right, right. Um, so do you have one historical novel you've read this year that you would put at the top of your recommend list? Oh, I've been reading through my collection of children's books this year. Um, I haven't read very much historical fiction because of that. I read one of Mary Keneally's books earlier this year, and that was, that was excellent. What was that titled? Aiming for Love. It was the first one in her new trilogy that she's that the newest one just came out. But I also love reading books that are not necessarily historical fiction, but they were written in an earlier time period. So right. um, I've just read um, The Secret Garden and The Little Princess by Frances Hodgson Burnett. Yes. That, um, she, for her, she wrote at a contemporary time, but for us reading it, it's historical. Right. Yeah. And then when you read that, you know it's accurate because they wrote it in the time period. Right. So, Jan, it was great talking with you. How can listeners purchase your new book? Well, you can go, you can purchase it from um, bakerbooks.com or any other online bookseller, um, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, christianbook.com. And you can also go to my website. I have links on my website for all of those. And it's uh, jandrexler.com. Okay, great. Um, and what's the best way? Is there a good way for listeners to follow you on social media or do you, are you not really into? Well, I, I spend way too much time on Facebook and I love talking with my readers. Uh, I do have an author page, Jan Drexler. Oh, good. And I also, I'm also on Goodreads quite a bit and talk to people there. So I, I stay away from Twitter, but I'm on most other social media platforms. Okay, good to know. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you. So guys, go check out Jan Drexler's book, Softly Blows the Bugle. That's the one that released just last week. The series is called The Amish of Weaver's Creek. I'll have links to all of Jan's books and her website and the other things we talked about on um, in the show notes, which are on my website at alisontreat.com. I haven't, I should have explained to you guys in the past that the easiest way to find my show notes is to go to alisontreat.com slash blog. Um, the way my 
website works is the show notes and the player for each podcast episode posts as a blog post. Um, And since I haven't been writing a lot of blog posts lately, that works out just fine. And I just want to mention that in the show notes, some of those links are affiliate links. So if you make a purchase through those links, you actually provide some support for the podcast. I have expenses every month with hosting and um, paying for some of the processing for the audio. So it's super helpful to have a little bit of support that way. So friends, if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it. Whatever podcast app you use is fine. If you use Apple Podcasts, it's especially helpful if you could rate the podcast and even leave um, leave a review. You have to scroll down to the bottom of the page in Apple Podcasts and find the reviews that are there, and then you can give it a star rating and leave a review. That is super helpful for people who are looking for podcasts on historical fiction. This, um, you know, Apple will know to show them this podcast. Also join me on Instagram at Allison Treat, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. Um, I usually go on my stories on Thursdays and talk about the podcast and whatever else is going on in my writing life. And I know you would really enjoy what I have to share there. So that's just kind of supplemental to this. And I would love to see you on there and connect with you. So if you've been listening to this podcast much, you know that I usually leave you with a quote about history. But this week, I found a quote by Francis Hodgson Burnett, who um, Jan mentioned during our interview. And since we're kind of in a dark year, I mean, 2020 has been interesting and difficult for a lot of people. Um, I just want to leave you with this kind of uplifting hopeful quote from Francis Hodgson Burnett. Hang in there. It is astonishing how short a time it can take for very wonderful things to happen. <laughs>